Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wool on us. Facing and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Not surprisingly, there's been a lot of I think soul searching lately over questions of government and public participation in policy and things like that. As we've discussed previously on the podcast, an unfortunately large percentage of this has involved finger pointing with individuals trying to figure out who else they can blame for electoral, electoral results or policy decisions that they don't like. Uh, I think most recently the target has been the so-called fake news problem even though some recent research has argued that it really didn't impact the results of the election. Prior to fake news being the issue, it seemed that the core one that people would point to to blame about policies they didn't like was money in politics. That's obviously an issue that's received plenty of press coverage and discussion over the years, and it's the kind of thing that can make people both very angry and also fairly cynical. They see lots of money behind certain policies, and it's easy to argue that it's the money that resulted in those policies. A few years ago, there was a big This American Life episode that looked deeply into the issue of money and politics, and what came out of it was really quite interesting, and it's a point that I don't think has received that much discussion. And it's the fact that the driving force for these things is often the other direction than what people think. That episode talked about how politicians themselves were often the ones approaching lobbyists and fundraisers, and it even had examples of lobbyists who were dodging calls from politicians. And so it sort of flipped the script of what people expect. In short, bad policies often came about because the public didn't really care that much about those issues, and the politicians saw them as an opportunity to fundraise. So rather than the money and donors driving the policy, it was the fundraising process itself. But one important thing uh, that became quite clear in listening to that report was that no money and no lobbyists really mattered in the face of an overwhelming public engagement. When people got involved, it didn't matter how much money or who the lobbyists were or what the situation was. Real honest voters and constituents actually reaching out and talking to politicians and making it clear what issues were important and what would cause the officials to lose their vote always would win out over lobbying dollars. Because the whole game for the politicians is about being reelected, and without the voters, you can't do that. And the inevitable con conclusion upon recognizing this is that it is really incumbent upon us, all of us, the voting public, to educate ourselves on policy and to actually speak out and take action on a variety of issues. If you're worried about money and politics, that's certainly important, but too often that's become an excuse of the cynical to not get involved and to really not understand the issues and uh, even to ignore them or not educate oneself about them. That's why I was so fascinated to see a recent opinion piece over at the Huffington Post by Jen Holzer titled, Your Government Won't Change Unless You Do. 
Jen, who's been a longtime friend to TechDirt, is the former former deputy chief of staff to Senator Ron Wyden and is now a communication strategist and also working on a book. The article is a great read and really a great statement of responsibility for the public and for voters. If you want politics to change, it says you need to educate yourself and get involved and speak out. So for today's podcast, we have both our usual co-host, Dennis Yang, but also as a special guest, we have Jen Holzer here to talk about the article and this issue of getting folks more educated and more involved on policy. Uh, I'm going to say that everyone who's listening to, to this should go read that article. But to start out, I've asked Jen to read a short excerpt uh, from the piece, which is a, f a few paragraphs that I think does a really good job of encapsulating the the basic thesis. So welcome, Jen. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. It's great, great that you're here. Uh, if you want to, if you could, uh, just read sure. uh, that a short segment from the piece. Sure, I'm happy to. The vast majority of us are not informed, nor do we make an effort to be informed. Instead, we expect politics and political news to outrage and entertain us. Admit it, you know more about whatever pseudo-scandalous thing happened on a given day than any policy that may or may not have been enacted by Congress. Just as you give your attention to the political figures who give fiery speeches and threaten to blow things up, versus the one who can get into the policy weeds and build consensus. Seriously, there are 535 voting members of Congress. Which ones do, names do you know? Yes, I'm aware that reading substantive articles on trade agreements and building ordinance is, isn't necessarily fun. But neither is mowing your lawn or doing sit-ups, and we tend to see those as worthy investments of our time. Is the state of your yard and abdominals really that much more important to you than the laws your government enacts on your behalf? More importantly, do you want a government that outrages and entertains you, or one that takes the business of governing seriously? Because there's a reason we've got the former. At the risk of torturing one too many metaphors, do you know why so many TV series are getting smarter and more nuanced? It's because TV viewers are getting more and more sophisticated. We're no longer impressed with cheap tricks and tropes, so shows are being written to appeal to our growing appetite for well-drawn characters and complex storylines that aren't easily resolved in an hour. Well, the same could hold true for government, except instead of getting more sophisticated, we're getting less. Great, thanks. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I like that, and I like the, the metaphor, because I think there's been, there's certainly has been a lot of talk about the idea that TV shows are getting you know, more complex and that people are able to, to follow, you know, complex storylines and story arcs across multiple episodes and, and things like that. And, and yet, when it comes to politics, there seems to be this assumption that, that everyone is just dumb and, and can't understand things and everything has to be simplified. And we have to get to sort of, you know, the horse race issue or, you know, simplify it down to, mm -hmm. you know, to something even as, as, you know, oh, money in politics is, is the problem or something like, like that. Well, and uh, it's also that I think a lot of what people get upset about, like, it, 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 to, to lack of a better word, is dumb. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, you know, I, 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 you know, as somebody who worked in the inside of government for, you know, almost 15 years, like, it's, you know, the... the the things they get upset about are actually probably worse. <laughs> they're, they're much more complicated <laughs> and sinister. And like, you know, I mean, not, not that it is, but it's it's these kind of classic tropes that we, we all have about government. And, you know, these, these things that we keep repeating over and over. Um, I mean, I haven't, I don't think I've seen a meme that anybody has posted about, you know, anger towards Congress and elected officials that didn't have at least, you know, two or three errors in it. It was just totally <laughs> off base. And it's just not And and when you're getting upset about something that that doesn't even have a 
basis in fact, you know, it's, you know, members of Congress will, you know, they don't want to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> They're not going to defend right. themselves and say, oh, no, we make, you know, we don't make that much money <laughs> or, you know, yes, our actually, believe it or not, our health insurance isn't that great. I mean, they're not going to say those things um, because then you're going to get mad <laughs> and not not vote for them. Um, and their their opponent will, will jump on that and they don't have a chance. Um, but what are they going to do? I mean, they can't really solve a problem that's, that's not a problem. Um, and there are so many problems that if people would put that energy and attention to, it uh, could make a real difference. And I mean, do you have a sense of you know, I think that the, the, you know, playing devil's advocate, I guess, to some extent, you know, people say, well, there's so many different issues, right? I mean, how are people mm -hmm. actually going to educate them? And, and in fact, you know, part of the reason why we have a representative democracy is this idea that you mm -hmm. have representatives who are supposed to educate themselves and, and have your best interests in mind. And we can obviously argue about whether or not that's how it's worked out. But, you know, how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, everyone's busy, right? Well, I mean, I think some of it is engaging on issues, but some of it is also educating yourself on how government actually works and what mm -hmm. the point is of government. And that's, I think, a big part of the problem right now is that the reasons that people vote for particular candidates often um, don't make them necessarily good at governing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's it's funny. I think a lot of people these days are confusing the, the ability to generate a lot of likes and clicks as equivalent of being a good representative. And, th and that's not true. <laughs> that it's uh, people forget that the, the point of government is to balance the many interests of society. And, you know, and when we start vilifying an elected official for mm. meeting with, with a group, you know, like Wall Street, right. for example, um, do you really want to live in a country where the president doesn't listen to Wall Street at all? I mean, it's their job. It's their, they right. also should be listening to you and they should be listening to small businesses and, you know, students. And I mean, they should be listening to all groups. But this idea that, you know, they're betraying us if they listen to somebody else or if they try to balance our interests with theirs. Um, I think people forget that we're all special interests. You know, we, <laughs> we like to vilify, you know, oh, a special interest, but... What we're yeah. really vilifying are the people who take this stuff seriously and go and engage in the process and, you know, are better at getting their interests heard than ours. Whereas a lot of us take our interests for granted and yeah. just expect, you know, Congress to know our point of view. When you said it really well in your opening, if we're not engaging on something, they just they think we don't care. And, right. you know, that, you know, they have these lobbyists there who really care. And so they think, OK, well, you know, let's, let's throw them a bone this time. Um, so it's... It's more about understanding that, you know, oftentimes the elect, you know, the candidate who tells you everything you want to hear is usually the worst at delivering on that, you know, because we're not electing a monarch who can just declare something to be done and get it. They have to go negotiate these things. And, you know, it's not really a great negotiating strategy to announce everything you want up front. Right. <laughs> I mean, imagine, I mean, you know, going to shop for a car and saying, I love this car. I have to have this car. I just promised my two million supporters I'm coming home with this car. Give me a deal. You know, it's it doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, I think the what I'm having trouble kind of grappling is that I think the world in which you describe is is a very nuanced one, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, I, I like I like the metaphor of the television show, you know, and you're saying, and I, I think before this past election, I, I'm very much, if you've, I'm very much the, the idealist, <laughs> the <laughs> optimistic idealist um, amongst the group here. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I was a little bit disillusioned by the, this past election. And I'm starting to kind of wonder if, you know, the nuance really, 
is being kind of appreciated by, I guess you're saying it's not being appreciated by most of the, the voting public, right? Yeah, I, I think the vast majority. Uh, I want to tell you something that, you know, years and years ago, I was in grad school, and um, I, I got the great pleasure to, to spend some time with Janet Reno, mm -hmm. um, who recently passed away. And, and she was just, you know, she didn't get all the credit. She was one of the coolest people I think I've ever met, you know, and she was just so fundamentally, and, and I want to use the word honest, uh, but I think when we use the word honest, um, it helps feed that idea that politicians aren't honest. And I think we need to start getting more specific with our words, that she was authentic, like she was willing to show her humanity and admit yeah. mistakes and tell her when things were struggling. And uh, anyway, but at the end of the conversation, she said to me, she said, um, never lose your idealism, never lose, mm -hmm. your, lose your optimism. You just have to be smarter and work harder than the cynics. And um, I think that's kind of been like what I've been trying to follow like throughout my career. But I do think it's true. I think... Cynicism is in many ways, you know, how people who don't know much about something try to sound smart about it. Right. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it, no, I like that. It holds yeah. true with, you know, your, your, you know, the people you meet in your street who you want to express opinion. But, you know, I know a number of cable news acres who tell me, oh, yeah, when you get asked a question, you have no idea anything about the topic. You know, expressing cynicism makes you sound smart. I mean, it's, it's just right, kind of right. how we've evolved. And it's a lot and, easier to kind of be cynical than to really try and understand the whole issue right? exactly yeah but the I mean, really to, big yeah, go, sorry i was gonna say i mean to some extent it, it reminds me a little bit of like you know jay rosen has this thing where he criticizes the media and he calls it sort of the cult of the savvy mm -hmm. which is you know the important thing is appearing you know savvy about stuff and and being cynical is a way of of sort of appearing like oh i know it all and i can mm -hmm. sort of dismiss it uh, because i know it all and yet it's it's often uh you know as you said, it's, it's really kind of a hedge for people who don't really know what's going on. Exactly. And the real problem with it is, well, you don't need to know anything to be cynical. You need to know a heck of a lot to stand up to it. You know, right. I mean, a lot of us, we don't, we don't like to fight with cynical, angry haters unless we feel, you know, we're subject matter, matter experts. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. right. Back to our, so but Pippa came in, you, you, you know, you helped me get there so I could fight with them and you got there. But like the average person needed, you know, some understanding and, and some basis. And so much of the media and the conversation we have is this angry cynicism that people just don't have those words and that, that basis. And so, I mean, I, I sometimes think the cynics are, are, aren't the majority of us, but the rest, you know, the rest, you know, are, are kind of afraid to speak up and they don't have that empowerment. Yeah. I mean, the cynics are definitely loud and, and definitely, you know, I think, you know, since you brought up the whole Sopa Pippa thing, I mean, that experience for me, I think did open my eyes as well quite a bit. And, you know, I'll, I'll admit that I have some cynicism <laughs> and some cynicism in my past and certainly in my present as well. Um, but I, I sort of try and deal with it. <laughs> but the, the, the Sopa Pippa experience was one where I, I sort of saw all of this in action and, and the idea that when people really did inform themselves and were willing to, to speak up and speak out, like it, it really did stop something that the cynics including me, which I've confessed before, mm -hmm. thought, you know, there was no way to stop that bill. It was, you know, it was a, a, a done deal. It was, you know, mm -hmm. being pushed by heavily funded lobbyists mm -hmm. who almost always got their way. And I thought it was it was definitely going to happen. And yet it was stopped and it was stopped exactly for the reasons that I said, which was, you know, you had millions of people speaking up and, and that made a difference. And, and, you know, but part of that was educating themselves so that they, mm -hmm. they understood these things. And, you know, but I, I, I've seen that same thing come back. I mean, you know, after that, we've had, you know, fights over net neutrality and cybersecurity and, 
you know, encryption and a variety of other things. And a lot of people just automatically go back to that cynical mm-hmm. position, which is like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We can fight all we want, but, you know, the money is here, the power is here, whatever. There's no way to, to make a difference. Um, and, you know, I've been sort of trying to argue against that, but I thought, you know, what really interested me in your article was like, it, it sort of put it all into a nice package that basically mm-hmm. really makes that point clear. I'm just still struggling a little bit with like, you know, how people can continue to educate themselves in a way that will actually be useful. I mean, it's, <laughs> you're, it's, <laughs> I, well, let's talk about, I, I mean, I, I, gosh, I remember back during the fight, I, I shared your system, you know, I mean, I, sure. I, it's a lot of fights where all you do is, is move the needle, but it was, I, 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 I still remember that day of, of that, that protest was one of the most profound uh, like moments of my government career, but possibly my life. I mean, I, I think, I think the, the, the note that really got me the most was, you know, somebody posted, I think uh, on the sitter's Facebook page that, you know, their, their daughter had come home from school that day. I think she was nine years old and she, she couldn't get on Wikipedia and asked her mom <laughs> and her mom and her like researched the issue. And, and then her mom explained to her nine-year-old daughter, well, we live in a democracy and we can call our members of Congress and the mom and daughter called together, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's that sort of thing. It's, you know, honestly, I think the very, if I could, if I could get people to do one thing that I think could really change you know, government mm-hmm. is start rewarding elected officials for telling you something you don't want to hear. You know, I mean, hmm. just give them a little breathing room. Like if a, an elected official comes for and, and tells you, look, you don't really understand this and this is the reality, like don't go all over Twitter and like freak out and like, you know, say we're going to primary them and be the end <laughs> of the deal. I mean, like that's, that's, we, we can't have an informed debate unless you know, members of Congress have the f- ability to ask questions and occasionally say something stupid. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's a point where they, they know, they know there's an entire media industry that all they do is comb through everything, trying to find a clause that they can, you know, turn into an outrageous headline that'll get them a bunch of clicks. And so all that does is just, you know, make elected officials just not want to say anything or do anything. And, and the problem is, is, again, we need to, you know, refocus on on things that matter. I mean, if, if we're always pushing to legislation that's impossible because it's not based in reality, <laughs> because people are asking for things that that don't really exist, um, mm-hmm. then you know we can't get anywhere. But I think we need to be able to to you know be open to be wrong, <laughs> like like you know open your mind. And and I think also remembering that you know elected officials are human beings, and I don't mean that to have sympathy for them. I mean I know people, but I think so often in times government becomes a stand-in for everything that's wrong in your life. And uh, and it's true. I mean, I worked there for a long time and you'd be surprised at the number of people who come to, you know, I mean, with weapons <laughs> and like the whole nine yards, I mean, to like, you know, take revenge on on the, the oppressors uh, or the people who are putting technology in their brains or the, you know, I mean, like the, there's the whole gamut of it. <laughs> um, yeah, everybody should answer phones in a congressional office for an afternoon. Um, but it's, you know, the reality is, is that if they're, you know, back to the Hollywood metaphor, because I do actually, yeah. you know, work in, in, you know, Hollywood. And uh, years ago, I met Armando Iannucci, uh, who is the creator of Veep. Um, and mm-hmm. I was introduced to him when he was working on it. And one of the first things he said to me, which I've, I've always thought about, is that he says where he thinks most shows about 
government, you know, do a bad job or get it wrong is they treat government characters like they're funny or dramatic because they're government characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. he says he treats them that they're funny and dramatic because they're human and humans do funny and dramatic things. And hmm. I think we always assign all these like motives to people in government because we think that's what they are. They're corrupt, they're selling out, they're doing all these things when usually the motives are much different, more complex. And I think almost any member of Congress, you can usually step back and see they're doing what they're doing or they're making the choice they're making for a reason. And that, that usually does, you know, some group, you know, in their district that's really powerful and important, they have to do it for them or... Um, you know, just because we're angry at them doesn't mean we would vote for them if they change sides. <laughs> and so it's, um, it, it's thinking about those incentives. And as I've always told people that if, you know, the group that you're trying to influence is doing it because they're terrible, crazy, insane people, then there's nothing you can do about it. But if you start recognizing that they're rational actors and that there are reasons they're doing things and that your actions are contributing to those reasons then, you know, if you change, then maybe you can change them. And so I think that's the only way if we start realizing that, you know, they're not the enemy, that they're doing things and that we're contributing to that. I think that's a start. And and to, you know, be yeah. excited to be wrong, like, because that's an opportunity to learn something, you know, like, you know, it's just these little bits of things that start inching that direction that I think can make a difference. But I, I think it's much easier to you know, rally against the opposite side of what you believe if you... Mm-hmm can view them as non-rational. <laughs> oh, no, it's really easy right? to rally. But I, but I but, think that's what yeah. that's what it is, right? I think that in your, in your Hollywood metaphor, like, the reason why, like, you know, NCIS can finish up an episode in one hour and finish an <laughs> entire plot line is because they've thrown out the the annoying kind of, you know, weight of reality. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's... Governing sounds hard. <laughs> oh, no, it's very, very hard. And it's especially hard when, you know, you got a bunch of people who are really mad at you for something you're not actually doing. <laughs> so it's, yeah. uh, it's particularly hard. But it's, you know, people in government have to listen to all sides and they have to consider it. And the people on the other side of the argument are just as impassioned and, as you are. And I think one of the things I've long learned in, in having, you know, I've, I've done, done things with a lot of people on both sides of the aisle is... A lot of times people don't understand your perspective because they don't have the experience that you do. <laughs> like they, um, you know, I, I, I'm a really prominent Republican who, who was doing things on senior reform. And, you know, my former boss, like, took him to some senior centers and gave him some information on, on historic abuses. And he came back. He said, I have no idea. We need to help these people. I mean, it's, it's you know, this is somebody that, that people on the other side have been calling a psychopath and terrible. And, and the reality is he just didn't have the experience. Um, and so, you know, I think people forget how many issues exist in government, like how many, you know, different things are going at one time. And, you know, that can't be on top of everything. And like, like you said, any human being can't cover everything. And, and the Congress is the same way. They can't know everything. They can't know everyone's interests. And so, you know, there is a bil- ability to engage. But if you start rewarding them for substance, if you start, you know, getting excited when they, you know, give a substantive speech on tax policy or, you know, something like that, they're going to do more of it. They're going to you know, do a lot more of it. Um, but right now, it's, you know, the only real incentives for government are to, you know, go and give an angry speech and blow things up. And, um, you know, that that's who gets the attention anymore. And we just need to stop doing that. So I, 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 I like this <laughs> and I and I agree and I and I, you know, sort of felt the same way in, in, in many ways. But I still come back to the like this feels like all the incentives seem to push against that so so 
yeah. my my question is how how do we get out of that rut, right? How do we how do we move like and and yes, maybe it's like each individual person suddenly you know recognizing like take a deep breath, mm-hmm. you know think about this, you know as you said sort of you know applaud the people you know making sort of the tough speeches or um, things like that, but you know is there yeah. is, is there something <laughs> broader that can be done? I just feel like those things well, you know get swept away. I'm a communication strategist, and so I think the way, and I, I recently started talking about this, is, I, th- you know, reframing the issue, I guess, would be to say, you know, <laughs> right now we, we talk about the audience in politics and people who engage in this process. It's always left and right, Democrat and Republican, and, you know, and, and that seems like the only way we can think about this divide in our country, but I actually think there's a much bigger divide and one that we need to start recognizing and exploiting, and that's, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, the people who are part of the problem and the, you know, people who want to blow it all up and think government and politics is all a game and it's about that. And, and the rest of us who, you know, think the stuff matters and we want to be part of the solution, you know, it's the troublemakers versus the problem solvers. And we need to show that there is an audience out there of people who want to be part of the solution, who think this stuff matters. And I, I know as a fact, these people exist on both sides of the aisle. I, you know, I got the most enthusiastic reaction um, to this piece from Republicans, um, Republican colleagues and friends who, you know, all wrote me and said, uh, yes, yes, I'm glad somebody finally said this. This is true. Um, and it's, you know, they're, you know, the, these are people who, you know, on the other side, yeah, I know as a fact would sit down and work on a deal. They care about policy. They care about government, but they don't have a voice. They don't have, you know, those paths. And I think, you know, we just need to start finding each other and banding <laughs> together. And um, I mean, I think yesterday was one of the something happened that was one of like it just just restored so much of my just love of humanity was the this alt national park service you know, twitter <laughs> feed did you see this yeah um that you know a group of rogue you know national park rangers have you know banded together to form a resistance movement to get out facts about <laughs> climate change <laughs> i mean it's uh it, it's kind of silly but it's like making i mean now i think they're up to what at least seven hundred thousand followers of yeah. people who want facts about climate and, and change. Yeah. I mean, we need there's to make... There's actually now, I, mm-hmm. I just seen uh, a little before we were recording this, I think there are now up to mm-hmm. 14 different uh, sort of rogue government agency Twitter <laughs> feeds because uh, a bunch of others picked up on the on the National Park Service, the Alt mm-hmm. National Park Service uh, Twitter feed <laughs> and have now, there's like an alternative NASA, mm-hmm. and an alternative FDA and a bunch of others with similar goals, which is kind of inspiring. Yeah. And I think it's, it is really inspiring. And, and that's part of what we need to do. We need to make, you know, facts and this stuff, um, you know, excited, I mean, like something that we're excited to learn and see and it's, and to receive and we celebrate people for doing it. And, you know, I mean, it, when I asked in that piece, you know, how many members of Congress do you know, it's, or whose names do you know? Because I'm guessing the the names of those, you know, uh, four, you know, 435 are the ones that, or 535, I'm sorry, I'm miscounting, um, are the ones that uh, are blowing things up and being part of the troublemakers, that there are several hundred right. that you don't know that are giving factual-based, nerdy policy speeches in the floor <laughs> of the House of Representatives. And, you know, if you start showing an interest in, in seeing those, like, I guarantee there are news outlets that will start, you know, covering them and giving you that information. And if you start clicking on them, then more of them will do it, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I know it's 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 change over time and you're just one person, but um, it's, I, I think the thing I said in that piece is 
that really, you know, I think is important is, you know, so many people say, well, I don't want to learn about tax policy or I don't want to learn about these things because it's not interesting or it's not fun that we we want our news to entertain us. And I think it's we need to start thinking about this as an obligation. Like This is our civic responsibility to, to start, you know, caring about stuff. And I know you guys yeah. do. And I know probably most people who are listening to a Tech Dirt podcast do. Um, but it's it's something that, you know, we we talk to our you know friends and coworkers and other people about you know interesting things we learn and i'm somebody i've learned that the more you know about the issue or a issue the more interesting it becomes you know at first it's you know i i remember when senator wyden wanted to get in a tax reform and i just like i didn't <laughs> want to do it i swear it just killed me and then my one of my coworker gave me a one of David K. Johnston's books on tax reform. I sat down and read it and I like, I was so fired up by the end of the time I read it because <laughs> you start to realize how all these little tax provisions like matter and how they affect people's lives. And, and then it becomes their stories. I mean, every mm -hmm. single government policy has a reason it's there, a person, a human being, or, you know, it impacts them in some way. And there's a lot of interesting stuff there. So it's, you know, people are getting into podcasts and learning in-depth issues. And, oh my gosh, if you guys could write you know, that many recaps of Game of Thrones, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we, that's the thing. We talk about the, the nuances of, of uh, you know, the hour-long drama anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even just that we have these great, complicated, hour-long episodes. It's that then people go online and spend hours, like, rehashing and talking about them and analyzing one lines. I mean, imagine yeah. if we all did that with, you know, the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> I mean, it's just, like, uh, or, no, or, or net neutrality. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. is like, the more we start to learn, like, the more, like... The, the cooler conversations our members of Congress can have with us. Like, it won't be one soundbite line. It'll be, you know, much more substantive. We can get in the weeds. We can, you know, have cool coverage. Like, but it's just, right now, there's just nobody's proving an audience for it because we just respond and, um, you know, to the, the, you know, oh, my gosh, this person's staffer, you know, tweeted something four years ago that could be construed as offensive. You know, I mean, it's just, right. like, that, no. that doesn't really matter. But we had you know, we freak out about it. And I think we need to stop doing that. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me, and this is something that I've certainly discussed both on TechTrid on the site and in the podcast before, mm -hmm. um, which is just sort of like the natural inclination of, of many people to, to just start rooting for their team. And you, you mm -hmm. get this sort of, you know, red team, blue team aspect to things, which I think just, you know, distorts any any policy. And, and, and I've said before, and I think I've said it to you directly, Jen, mm -hmm. like, you know, the one thing that I, I've really enjoyed about tech policy and the policy stuff that, that we tend to cover is that it's rarely gone partisan and mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it's often doesn't fit naturally into traditional partisan lines. And so you have these sort of sometimes strange bedfellows, but that has allowed for the debates about those policies to actually be a lot more substantive. Exactly. And, and, and you know, Realistic. I don't always agree, obviously, with with you know the positions that people take, but I think that the discussions are are you know more focused on the actual issue as opposed to sort of you know winning points. Um, You're exactly a, right that um uh, there's a, a great book that you know, Ron White once made me read. Uh, it's called Showdown at Gucci Gulch, and it's the story of uh, the '86 tax reform. And hmm. I mean, so tax reform is one of the hardest things to do in government because you've got to think every single one 
of those uh, tax loopholes that they end up, you know, because tax reform is basically you just clean out all the loopholes and you, mm -hmm. you know, lower rates and flatten it out. So all those loopholes have a constituency, like somebody who lobbied for it and got it in there and really likes yeah. it. Um, and when, you know, that tax reform bill passed out of the Senate Finance Committee, it passed unanimously, like with a unanimous, like bipartisan vote to support tax reform um, that, you know, believe it or not, the... Uh, the final bill passed two weeks before um, a November election. I mean, can you imagine a major bill passing two weeks before a November election? But it was bipartisan. And it's amazing. You can take on all the special interest groups uh, when you're working together. But the problem right. is, is you can't fight a two-front war. Um, you can't fight, you know, the Republicans are at your throat or the Democrats are at their throat while you have all these special interest groups plus, you know, angry um, constituents. I mean, you just, it's you kind of have to pick a side, you know, it's, you have to have allies somewhere or, or it's, it's over. And it's, you know, it is frustrating. Um, but I think that's why I think the real key probably is to reframe it that instead of rooting for, you know, team Democrat or team Republican, I, mean, I think we need to start rooting for, you know, team, you know, problem solvers, like part of the solution, right. like, you know, like, like we need to, to recognize our people on both sides of the aisle who share our passion and care for our democracy and, you know, that, that's our new team. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, we just had a podcast a, a few weeks ago um, mm -hmm. that was where we were sort of arguing over whether or not, like, um, debates that are structured as, like, you know, pro-con debates or, you know, where, you know, someone is there to def defend one side and someone's there to defend the other side, um, whether or not they were any all that useful. And, and you know, my argument in that talk was was in that discussion was basically that I felt that this exact problem set in, which is that you would just have people who are there to defend their side and there was no movement and there was no, you know, effort to actually solve problems. It was just people sort of tugging at two extremes. And, you know, I wanted to find better ways to, you know, get people, you know, get smart people into a room and say, we agree that there is a problem. And we may disagree over the solutions, but let's talk it through and mm -hmm. see if, you know, are there ways to move the ball forward in some way or another? And, and effectively, you're saying the same thing mm -hmm. um, on a larger scale, which I think is is really useful and interesting to think about. Well, it's one of the um, things I learned working for Senator Wyden because, you know, uh, my favorite quotes ever about Senator Wyden was, you know, if you have a problem, you know, Ron Wyden has a comprehensive bipartisan solution to address it. And so, you know, <laughs> a lot of my job was, you know, going into that Republican office who had never worked for, uh, you know, never worked for the Democrat before and, uh, you know, convincing them to trust me and convincing them to talk to, you know, Ezra Klein and you know, like different, you know, people in my, you know, who cover us. And, uh, and it's funny, those became some of my best friends, because like when you it's like you against both sides, you start, um, you look out for each other more than I think a lot of, you know, my, my fellow, you know, Democratic press secretaries, you know, just would take my support for granted. Whereas when you're a Republican, you really have each other's backs. And it's 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 kind of a really special relationship. But, uh, you know, it's funny, it, it, back to, you know, tax reform is, is funny, but I learned a lot from that, 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 that situation that, you know, Senator White had a um, tax bill, uh, for years, it was just, you know, a, a kind of his bill. And then he decided he wanted to, you know, make it bipartisan. And he teamed up with Senator Judd Gregg. And uh, it took two years, like, for them to reach an agreement, you know, because nobody was really mm -hmm. paying attention, but they came through agreement. And, uh, you know, they gave it to me because I'm, you know, have to explain it to the public. And uh, I asked my, my colleague, you know, who had been part of the negotiation, I said, so what did we lose? You know, because I came at it from this frame of, well, we had to give up some stuff to get a Republican on board. And he says, no, it's a better bill. 
And he says, hmm. because we both really, really wanted to get an agreement. <laughs> and, you know, he wanted to, to come down this corporate rate and, you know, center wide and really needed to have progressive tax rates. And so we spent two years twisting and turning the tax code in every direction it could go and considering ideas we'd never considered before and really like thought outside the box and tested ourselves until we could reach an agreement that addressed both of our goals. So we didn't compromise, but we became innovative <laughs> and came up with some really smart stuff. And right. so I do think that there is this kind of belief that compromising is losing, um, but it doesn't have to be compromising. It just has to, you know, when we only talk to people who agree with us, we never test our point of view or, you know, think about different solutions. And when we're working with people who don't agree with us, but we want to agree with, um, that takes extra work. But I think it, it can actually achieve something better for, you know, all of us. Yeah. It sort of goes back to the whole concept of, you know, zero sum versus non-zero sum. Exactly. You know, if you can create solutions that actually are better off for everyone, like those are, are worth exploring. <laughs> yeah. And I think for those to happen more from what I said before, like when those kind of agreements get announced and, and I, again, I had the initial response myself. Oh, we lost something. Like you hear a bipartisan agreement. Oh, you know, Senator Wyden's, you know, being betraying his party or whatever. But if you take a deep breath, <laughs> read the agreement, you know, like learn a little bit more before you pass judgment. Right. Um, I think we all learn more from it, but it also gives you know, these elected officials some breathing room to have those conversations. And I think that's important, but it's really hard to have them when you know you're never going to get a chance to explain yourself. Um, and I think I think I said it in that piece um, that, you know, I know a lot of because, you know, Senator Wyden's obviously really big in health policy. And, you know, I know mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, Republican members of Congress over the years who really wanted to team up on different ways to fix different aspects of Obamacare, who, you know, really saw ways we could make the bill better and do better. But they knew if they announced that, you know, it would get reported that they were defecting or they were, you know, <laughs> and it right. wouldn't even just be their reporters. Like, like the Democrat, like, you know, sure. papers would say, oh, look, we, we got one or, you know, I mean, it would just, <laughs> and they wouldn't even have a chance to explain why they're doing or what they're doing before, you know, like they were getting a primary challenge and it was all blowing up in their face. And they knew that they just couldn't get that breathing room to try to do it. And which is sad because if they had, you know, we'd, we'd have a bill that had a lot of support that wouldn't be, you know, in danger of just being repealed right now. And, um, and it's, it's the problem. Like, when we don't do these things in bipartisan ways, then the second the ink is dry, it's, it's somebody's trying to repeal it. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, that's, it's just, I think we all need to learn somehow to take a deep breath and, and you, know, look, you know, recognize the nuance and, you know, get excited about it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it it definitely does. Um, this is a really interesting discussion, but we're also kind of running out of time. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, but um, thanks very much for for joining us, and and th thanks for writing the article. And yeah. I, it's really sort of thought provoking. I think this discussion was thought provoking. Um, I'm still thinking about it, and probably have more to say about it. Yeah, <laughs> um, this is fascinating. Well, thank uh, you. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm trying to write a lot more about it. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, doing more online and, uh, you know, this this kind of feels like I think right now we all feel like we want to do something. So yeah, kind of right. talk about the stuff is what I feel like I can do. You know, offer this perspective. But um, I'm really just glad you're you're paying attention and caring. That's that's what I think we all need to do right now. 
Yeah, yeah, and that includes, of course, everyone who's listening to this as well. So yes, please. Uh, <laughs> go check out the article. Again, the title is called uh, Your Government Won't Change Unless You Do, and it's on Huffington Post, and we'll put a link to it uh, in, in, our, in, in our post when this goes up. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jen go Holzer, get more informed. Yes, get more informed. <laughs> yes, get and, excited and, about tax policy. Yeah. <laughs> and get excited about tax policy or something else, but 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 definitely try yeah. to and and give people room and maybe take a deep breath and all sorts of interesting things. Um, exactly, I think would be really really useful and and hopefully you know I'm I'm trying not to be cynical here <laughs> and and hoping that that maybe something can really come of this and that we could actually start focusing on real solutions as opposed to. I'm still hopeful. Well, you yes. know what, the only thing I will say is I found, and the reason I'm actually writing these kind of pieces, and I, I do plan to write a lot more, is that, as I said before, like, it's really hard to stand up to the cynics and the haters and the fear mongers if you don't know, if you don't have the words and you don't know what you're talking about. And so yeah, I right. feel like, and I've rec- I've seen this, like, when I give them the words and the facts that they do stand up and they do start fighting back. And so I think, right. you know, right now, I think we have, you know, one side is dominating the conversation. And I think, you know, it'll start to, we start to push back a bit. Like, I think, you know, the, the smart fact side will win. I hope. We hope. Yes. Let's, we'll end this on a hopeful note. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for, for joining us. And this is fun. Uh, thank you. And thanks everyone for, for listening. And uh, we'll be back again okay. next Talk week. Soon. Bye-bye. Bye.